Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. take that out and turn to the back side where we have a lot of work to do, if you can see that. I tell you what, I learned so much from the study this week on our passage, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. There is something that I wrote there at the top, very brief, but let's take a peek at it, and you're going to have to help me because I think I messed up uh, grammarly with this, all right? Uh... So it says this, Peter confessed by faith that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, along with James and John, we'll visually see Jesus in all his glory. Now, is, is, is that right? Is that right? I'm, I'm wondering if I should have changed now... Peter, along with James and John, will visually see Jesus in all his glory. Or are we, are we going to be okay with, with what we got here? Uh, you're, you're okay with it. Karen, what do you think? You're okay with it? Karen's good at, at uh, grammar. Alright, so let's read it again. Or I'll read it again. Peter confessed by faith that Jesus was the Messiah. Remember that a few weeks ago? Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? Well, they say that you're... John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, and Peter, or Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And in the book of Matthew, it goes on and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everything in Mark, from chapter 1 to chapter 8, focuses on this point in the story. It's right in the middle middle of the book of Mark. And so, everything focuses right there. Now, along with James and John, Peter... They will visually see Jesus in all of his glory. So if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 9. And we'll just look at verse 1 real quick. And then we'll dig in here. And he said to them, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. So Jesus says that some of his disciples will see this event where Jesus comes uh, in the kingdom of God with power. And some, this past week when I read, said that that was possibly talking about the resurrection. Some said that that might be possibly talking about the ascension. But most of what I read this week says that what Mark is talking about here is actually what we're going to look at this morning, the transfiguration. So let's take a look at verse 2, and we will read down through verse 13. So after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him to a high mountain, led up, to, led up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than any in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. 
Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. That is the reading of God's word, and we're going to dig into it a little bit. So if you're taking notes, we're going to take a look at when, where, what, who, and why. And the first thing, when, and, well, that, that one's easy because it's right there in verse 2. After six days. After six days. So when Jesus tells them in verse 1, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power, well, Mark is telling us six days later, this happened. Six days. And we are told that Peter, James, and John are the ones that go with Jesus uh, up to this mountain. They are kind of his inner circle, if you will. James and John are brothers, and Peter is kind of the leader. And so where do they go? If you're taking notes, up a high mountain. Up a high mountain. It seems God likes to do things on mountains. Mount Sinai, you'll remember Moses receives the law. Mount Carmel, Elijah takes care of the prophets of Baal. We've got the Sermon on the Mount. We've got Mount Olivet. We've got Mount Calvary. We've got Mount Ararat. And most people believe that this transfiguration happens on Mount Hermon. Jesus, God, likes to do things on high mountains. And sometimes it says that Jesus went up to a mountain to pray. It's it's interesting. I, I I went online and just looked at all the times in the Bible that a mountain is talked about. And quite a few. Quite a few. It's interesting. Plus, I like mountains. They're pretty. And I think of growing up in California on clear days... You could stand at the ocean and look up at the mountains and see the snow. It was very, very, very pretty. So when, six days, where, they were up a high mountain. And what? Well, there there he was transfigured. And Mark just doesn't go into a whole lot of detail here. I wish he could tell us a little bit more about this. But he says, there he was transfigured. Before them, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And uh, so the word transfigured in the Greek is metamorpho, and we get the word metamorphos. Meta means change, and morph means body. So on this mountain, Jesus changed. Not on the inside, 
Jesus didn't need to change anything on the outside. He didn't really need to change anything, I'm sorry, on the inside. He didn't really need to change anything on the outside, but he did this for the disciples to see his glory. And how does he change? Well, his appearance changed. His clothes became white as white could be. And I think it's interesting. Mark says his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. So he just wants you to know that these are white, 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 white clothes. Back in 1979, I had a white polyester suit. And uh, I thought I looked pretty good in it. And I remember I was taking a girl on a date. And so... I took the suit to the cleaners and I came to pick it up and they said, Mr. McNabb, we've got a problem with your suit. And I thought, oh no. Well, somehow a ballpoint pen ended up in the wash where my white suit went. And uh, they showed me and it had, it probably would have worked because it was totally tie dye. So it may have worked, but my white suit was completely stained with blue ink. I was so depressed that I had to wear my light blue polyester suit that was really a little too tight around the midsection. But I had to wear it. I asked them, I said, can you bleach this? Can you bleach it to bring it back? And they said, well, we'll give it a try. But I'll tell you what. They ended up giving me $100 way back then for that white polyester suit that they ruined. But that was the last time I ever wore my white polyester suit. Jesus is transfigured and his clothes become as white as white can be. Whiter than any bleach can make them. And if you look at the parallel stories, Matthew Matthew 17 and Luke 9... They add that Jesus' face also changed, and it was as bright as the sun. That's what it says. What these three, Peter, James, and John, are seeing is the blazing glory of the divine nature of Jesus shining through his humanity. And I'll read that again. The blazing, what these uh, three are seeing, Peter, James, and John, is the blazing glory of the divine nature of Jesus shining through his humanity. Uh, Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 1. And if you noticed the title of our message, it was, We Have Seen His Glory. And so John says this, in, uh, and I imagine he's thinking of this transfiguration when he's writing this in John chapter 1, verse 14. It said, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then also in Revelation, if you've been with our study in Revelation, it talks about the glory, the visual experience of seeing Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. And then it says that uh, the scene changed, and verse 4 says, And there appeared 
before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. So who is there? Well, we said already, Peter, James, John, Jesus. And then Moses and Elijah are added to this scene. Moses and Elijah are added to this scene. What I really want to know, and the Bible doesn't give us any indication, but how did Peter, James, and John know that those two people standing next to Jesus were Moses and Elijah? I just, I, I wonder. And I was reading, and nobody really has a clue as to how they knew that. And so I'm just going to say that they, they had name tags. I'm just going to say they had name tags. And uh, Moses had a name tag, and it said Moses, and Elijah had a name tag. And uh, his name tag said Elijah. Now, why these two? Why Moses and Elijah? Well, Moses, we know, is the greatest leader in Israel's history. He rescues the nation. He leads the people to the promised land. He receives the Ten Commandments. And he authors the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And so Moses is chosen here, and Elijah is considered the greatest prophet. Moses, Moses gave the law, and Elijah was its greatest guardian. So Moses and Elijah appear here, and it says at the end of verse 4, who were talking with Jesus. Mark doesn't go into any detail about what they're talking about, but Luke, again, the parallel story, if you want to turn over to Luke chapter 9, Luke tells us what they are talking about. Luke chapter 9 and verse 30. So two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are speaking. Mark doesn't tell us what they're speaking about. But Luke tells us that they spoke about his departure. They spoke about his departure. Now, why were they speaking about his departure? This whole event, this whole transfiguration, this whole six days later up on a high mountain, this whole event is for the benefit of Jesus' disciples. This whole event is for the benefit of Jesus' disciples because... As we are told in some of our previous reading, they cannot get their minds around the idea that Jesus, who came to establish his kingdom, is going to die. They cannot get their minds around that. And so this whole event has been staged, if you will, specifically for the disciples. And so the reason, again, is because they just can't quite get their mind around this idea that Jesus is going to have to die. Because Jesus has now mentioned it a few times. If you remember back, they got the right person. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the plan that they had was all wrong. And I read this. I thought this was interesting. Nobody could give these three, Peter, James, and John, more assurance and confidence 
than Moses and Elijah that the death of Jesus was God's redemptive plan. But we've got a problem here in our next point, and that is that Peter wants the kingdom now. Peter wants the kingdom now. You would think that if a few days ago Jesus called you Satan and said, Get behind me, Satan, that Peter would stay a little low. You know, that he wouldn't necessarily want to speak into anything that he's not real clear on, but he doesn't. And so he speaks up, and we're told that he speaks up because he didn't really know what to say because they were so frightened, but still, he says something in verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say because they were so frightened. His idea was to set up the kingdom that all of Israel had been looking for for thousands of years to set up the kingdom right now. No need for this suffering that you're talking about. No need for the cross. No need for a death. Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about the cross And Peter wants to talk about the kingdom. He says, no, I don't want to talk about the cross. I don't, death. We we don't, that's not, that's not the way it's supposed to work. That's not the way it's supposed to work. And Peter does know that Elijah, I mean, Peter's a Jew, so he knows the Old Testament. He knows that Elijah is supposed to come in the end. And hey, he's here right now on the Mount of Transfiguration. So let's just set up the kingdom right now without the cross. Well, we're told in our story, God has other plans. God has other plans. So, as Peter is saying this, verse 7, Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Peter, be quiet and listen to him. God told the three to listen to him. A cloud appears and basically interrupts Peter. And God basically says, uh, Peter, shut up, please. Uh, And listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He's the person with the plan. The kingdom will come. The kingdom will come, but it will come in my time. The glory you see here will come. The glory you see, Jesus Clothing as white as snow, whiter than any uh, bleach can make it. His face shining like the sun. That will be in the kingdom. The kingdom will come. But first comes a cross. First comes a cross. And then I love verse 8. I think verse 8 is good for me. It says this, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. You know what? Our world is so strange right now. It's just good to know that Jesus is with us. I mean, He's always with us. You know, it can get yucky out there. It can get yucky out there. And it's, it, it's good to know suddenly when you look around, 
and see the mess we're in, all they were able to see was Jesus. And so that, that was encouraging to me. Everybody, everything vanishes except Jesus. And then Jesus says to them, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave, gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And it does say they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what, again, <laughs> rising from the dead meant. They didn't quite understand, you know, this, this death and resurrection thing. You know, Jesus says, hey, don't tell because the job's not done. Don't tell anybody because the job's not done. And the job's not done until the cross and the resurrection are done. So Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Don't talk about this event to anybody. Jesus is not in any rush to have the people make him king. Remember after the feeding of the 5,000? They want to make him king right there. They're so excited about the food that they just ate. They want to make Jesus king right there. And Jesus is not in any rush to have the people make him king because the purpose of why he came has not yet been completed. Don't tell anyone until after the resurrection. If you go over to Luke chapter 9, uh, it says this in verse 26, or 36. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. It would be hard to keep that a secret, but they did. But they are still confused, it says, about what Jesus meant when he said, rising from the dead. And then verse 11, it says, and they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? So remember, uh, chapter 1 of Mark through 8 is Jesus doing all of these miracles to show the people that he is who he said he was. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, Mark 1.1. 1, 1. All these things that Jesus did. And then pretty much from Mark chapter 8 until the end, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he's teaching them so that when, the, when he leaves, they've got the message that can go into all the world. And we see that happen at Pentecost and Acts. The whole book of Acts is about the church spreading throughout the whole world. And so Jesus has some teaching time. It says they were coming down from the mountain. And these disciples asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elisha must come first? And so the Old Testament, if you're taking notes, the Old Testament prophecies must be fulfilled concerning Jesus, concerning the Messiah. All of what is happening here has been foretold in the Old Testament. And so these Old Testament prophecies need to be fulfilled so that we can know that the Bible is true. And so on the way down, Jesus has some teaching times. As I shared before, the disciples know their Bibles. They know that the Old Testament prophecies uh, talk about Jesus, talk about a Messiah. And they also know from the book of Malachi, we're not going to turn there, but if you want to write it down, you certainly can. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, and Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, talk about Elijah, the prophet Elijah, coming before the kingdom is inaugurated. 
So coming before the kingdom is inaugurated. And that's why up on the hill, they're thinking, hey, Elijah's here, Moses is here, Jesus is here. Let's just, let's just get into the kingdom right now. Let's not worry about all this suffering that you're talking about. And so their question is, hey, if Jesus is the Messiah, where is Elijah? Where is Elijah? Well, three things quickly I want you to see here is that Elijah will come. And in Revelation chapter 11, this is good for you uh, prophecy uh, uh, thinkers. In Revelation chapter 11, uh, Jesus talks about three or, uh, two witnesses. And many people believe that before the great day of judgment... We might call this the second coming. During the tribulation, before the millennium, a lot of people say that these two witnesses that come during this time, one of them will be Elijah. It will be the actual prophet Elijah come back at the end of the tribulation period to share the good news. Many believe that Elijah will be one of the two witnesses in Revelation 11. Why do they think Elijah? Well, one of the reasons they think Elijah is Elijah was taken up to heaven. He didn't die, remember? He was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. And some people believe that the other prophet may be Enoch, because the Bible says that Enoch never died. And the Bible says... That all of us must die, and after that, the judgment. And so if Enoch and Elijah didn't die, then maybe they are the two that come back at the end time here. The two witnesses of Revelation 11, which if you read Revelation 11, they do die. They do die. All right? So I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you do a little research on that. But more important than that... It says in verse 12, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. But then Jesus gets them back on track and says, why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? Yeah, Elijah will come. That kingdom's going to come. It's future. It's not right now. But why does the Bible say to bring them back to the whole concept of the cross why does the Bible say that Jesus must suffer? Jesus wants to keep them focused on the present. And the prophecies in the Old Testament are numerous. Prophecies are numerous about the fact that Jesus, the Messiah, will suffer. Daniel 7, Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Zechariah 12, Isaiah 53. A lamb led to the slaughter, remember? So the prophecies of the Old Testament will be fulfilled. Elijah will come. But more important than that, right now, Jesus will suffer. And we're just about six months or so from Easter, from the cross, from Good Friday, and from Easter. Not, not six, I'm not talking about six months in, in our current world, but six months right here in our story. Jesus has been with the disciples about two and a half years, and so in about... About six months or so, Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem and uh, be betrayed and crucified. And then three days later, will rise from the dead. So Jesus is stuffing as much as he can into the disciples' ears. And he wants them to know, yeah, Elijah will come, but the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected. And then he says, but I tell you, Elijah has come. 
And they have done to him everything they wish, just as is written about him. So the next point that you see there is John the Baptist was Elijah-like. John the Baptist was kind of a preview of Elijah. They had the same message, repentance. They had the same purpose, prepare the way of the Lord. They even had the same clothing. If you remember us talking about John the Baptist with his uh, uh, clothes and eating uh, Locusts and wild honey, uh, they even did the, you know, they had the same thing. They even had the same diet. Not literally Elijah. John the Baptist is not literally Elijah, but the same ministry. And Jesus says, and the Jews killed him. And if you look at Matthew chapter 17, again in the parallel story, and verse 12, it says, but I tell you, Elijah has already come and did not... And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. And then it says this. It doesn't say it in Mark. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands as well. So the Old Testament prophecies, Jesus is very very aware, need to be fulfilled. Elijah will come, but first Jesus must suffer. And then John the Baptist, he was Elijah-like. And in that he was preparing the way of the Lord. But here's the deal at the bottom of your bulletin. Without the cross and the resurrection, there is no gospel. There is no salvation. There is no kingdom. There is no hope. And there is no heaven. So, I mean, the cross and the resurrection need to happen. Need to happen. Because without the cross and the resurrection, there is no gospel. There is no salvation. There is no kingdom. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, there is no hope. Which is a bummer. (laughs) And there is no heaven. And so the last question on your bulletin, do you know? And then, do you live for? the resurrected King of Kings. I hope you know Him, and I hope you live for Him. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Man, there's a lot in there, and we can learn so much. It's exciting when we can open the Bible and just go through this book slowly but surely, verse by verse, and like we prayed at the beginning, discover its wonders. So much there, Lord. We thank You for it. Ultimately, Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross where you died for our sin. We thank you for the resurrection where you conquered death. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are preparing a place for us. And in your time, in your time, you will come back and take you to be with, to, uh, that we will be with you forever and ever. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. If there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, well, I pray that they would accept the cross, accept the resurrection, invite Jesus in so that they can, too, have hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching Scripture biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, 
please visit our website at minatristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.